Hello, so today I'm gonna be starting As Good As Dead, the final A Good Girl's Guide to Murder novel, Holly Jackson, part one. Chapter one, dead-eyed, that's what they said. What's, wasn't it? Lifeless, glassy, empty, dead eyes were a constant companion now, following her around, never more than a blink away. They hid in the back of her mind and escorted her in into her dreams. His dead eyes, the very moment they crossed over from living to not. She saw them in the quickest of glances and the deepest of shadows and sometimes in the mirror too wearing her own face. And Pip saw them right now, staring straight through her, dead eyes encased in the dead of a dead pigeon sprawling, sprawled on the front drive, glassy and lifeless, except for the moment of her own reflection within them, bending to her knees and reaching out. Not to touch it, but to get just close enough. Ready to go, Pickle? Pip's dad said behind her. She flinched as he shut the front door with a sharp clack. The sound of a gun hidden in its rev reverberations. Pip's uh, other companion. Uh, yes, she said, straining up and straining out her voice. Breathe. Just breathe throughout it. Just breathe through it. Look, she pointed needlessly. Dead pigeon. He bent down for a look. His black skin creased around his narrowed eyes and his pristine three-piece suit creasing around his knees. And then... The shift into a face she knew what, too well. He was about to say something witty and ridiculous. Like pigeon pie for dinner, he said. Pip, yep, right on cue. Almost every other sentence from him was a joke now. Like he was working that much harder to make her smile these days. Pip related, uh, my God. Pip relented and gave him one, only if it comes with a side of mash, <laughs> mashed red tato, she quipped, finally letting go of the pigeon's empty gaze, hoisting her bronze backpack onto one shoulder. Ha! He clapped her on the back, beaming. My morbid daughter. Another face shifted as she recognized as as he realized sorry, what he'd said and all the other meanings that swirled inside those three simple word, words, Pip could, couldn't escape death even on this bright late July morning in an unguarded moment with her dad. It seemed to be all she lived for now. Her dad shook off the awkwardness only ever and fleeting thing with him and gestured to the car with his head come on 
You can't be late for this meeting. Yep, Pip said, opening the door and taking her seat, unsure of what else to say. Her mind left behind as they drove away back there with the pigeon. It caught up with her as they pulled into the parking lot for the Fairview's train station. It was busy, the sun glittering off the regimented lines of commuter cars. Her dad sighed, Ah, that boy in the Porsche has taken my spot again. Boy. Another term Pip immediately regretted teaching him. The only phrase... Okay, all... Anyways. The only phrase phase were down at the far end. Near the chain link fence where the cameras didn't reach howie's bowers old stomping ground money in one pocket small paper bag in the other and before pip could help herself the unclicking of her seatbelt became the tapping of stanley forbin's shoe on the concrete behind her it was night now howie not in prison but right there under the orange glow downward shadows for eyes. Stanley reaches him, tra- trading a handful of money for his life, for his secret, and as he turns to face Pip, dead-eyed, six holes split open inside him, spilling gore down his shirt and onto the concrete. And somehow, it's on her hands. It's all over her hands. And coming, Pickle? Her dad's Dad was holding the door, opening for her. Coming, she replied, whip, wiping her hands against her small, smartest pants. The train into Grand Central was packed, and she stood shoulder to shoulder with other passengers. Awkward, closed mouth, smiles, substituting sorries, and they bumped into one another. There were too many hands on the metal pole, so Pip was holding on to her dad's bent arm instead to keep her steady. If only it had worked. She saw Charlie Green twice on the train, the first time in the back of a man's head before she shifted to better read his newspaper. The gun, wait, sorry, the second time he was... He was a man waiting on the platform, cradling a gun. But as he boarded their car, his face re- rearranged, lost all its resem- resemblance to Charlie, and the gun was just an umbrella. It had been three months and the police still hadn't found him. His wife, Flora, had turned herself into a police station in Duluth, Minnesota, for Four weeks ago, they somehow gotten separated. Sorry. Um. Um. Still hadn't found him. Oh, they had somehow gotten separated while on the run. She didn't know where her husband was, but the rumors circulating online were that he had managed to make it across the border to Canada. Pip looked out for him anyway, not because she wanted him caught, but because she needed him found 
and that difference was everything. Why things could never go back. Sorry, they're calling me. Um, I can't what I was gonna say. Um, Oh, but the rumors circulating online were that he'd managed to make it across the border to Canada. Pip looked out for him anyway, not because she wanted him caught, but because she needed him found, and that difference was everything. Why things could never go back to normal again. Her dad caught her eye. You're nervous about the meeting. He asked over the screen, screeching, screeching of the train's wheels, as it slowed into Grand Central. It will be fine. Just listen to Roger, okay? He's an excellent excellent lawyer. He knows what he's talking about. Roger turned was Turner was an attorney at her dad's firm who was the best at def defamation cases apparently. They found him a few minutes later waiting outside the old red brick conference center where the meeting room was booked hello again pip roger said holding out his hand to to her pip okay quickly checked her hand for blood before shaking his nice weekend victor it was it was thank you roger and i have leftovers for lunch today so is going to be an excellent Monday, too. I suppose we better head in, then, if you are ready, Roger asked. Pip checked his watch, his other hand gripping a shining briefcase. Pip nodded. Her hands felt wet again, but it was sweat. If it was only sweat. You'll be fine, darling, her dad told her, straining out her collar. Yes. I've done thousands of meditations, Roger grind, grinned, sorry, sweep, sweeping back his gray hair. No need to worry. Call me when it's done. Pip's dad leaned down to bury a kiss in the top of her head. Prayer. I'll see you at home tonight, Roger. I'll see you in the office later. Yeah, I'll see you. I'll see you at home tonight, Roger. I'll see you in the office later. Yes, see you, Victor. After you, Pip. Sorry, that was a little confusing. <laughs> they were in meeting room 4E on the top floor. Pip asked to take the stairs because if her heart was hammering for that reason, it wasn't hammering for any other reason. That's how she... Retonalized it. Sorry, that was hard. Why she now went running anytime she felt her chest tightening. Run until there was a different kind of hurt. They reached the top. Old Roger puffing several steps behind her. A smartly dressed man stood in the corridor outside 4E, smiling when he saw them. Ah, you must be... Ah, you must be Pip Pippa Fitzamobi, he said. Another outstretched hand, another quick blood check. And you are and you her sorry, oh my god. 
and you, her counsel, Roger Turner. I'm Hazen Basher, and for today, I am your independent meditator. Sorry. He smiled, pushing his glasses up his thin nose. He looked kind and so eager, he was almost bouncing. Pip hated to ruin his day, which she undoubtedly would. Nice to meet you, she said, clearing her throat. And you, he clapped his hands together, surprising Pip. So the other party is in the meeting room, all ready to go, unless you have any questions beforehand, he glanced at Roger. I think we should probably get started. Yes, all good. Roger said, sidestepped in front of Pip to take charge as Hanson ducked back to hold open the door to 4E. It was silent inside. Roger walked through, nodding thanks to Hanson, and then it was Pip's turn. She took a breath, arching her shoulders, and then let let it out through gritting gritted teeth ready she stepped into the room and his face was the first thing she saw sitting on the opposite side of of the long table his angular cheekbones in a downward point to his mouth his messy swept back blonde hair the glance up and meet and met her eyes a hint of something dark and glow, gloating in his eye, gloating in his Max Hastings. So that is the last page to chapter one. So this is chapter two. Pip's feet stopped moving. She didn't tell them to. It was like something primal, unspoken knowledge. That's even one more step would be too close to him. Her, here, Pip, Roger said, pulling out the chair directly opposite. Max, gesturing her down into it. Beside Max, across from Roger, was Christopher Epps, the same attorney who represented Max in his trial. Pip had last come face to face with this man on the witness stand. She'd been wearing this exact same suit while he hounded her with that clipped bark of of a voice. She hated him too, but the feeling was lost, subsumed by her hatred for the person sitting opposite her opposite her only the width of a table between them right hello everyone hasten said hasten said brightly said brightly taking his assigned chair at the end of the table in between the two parties let's get the introduce introductory bits out of the way Oh my god. Sorry, I lost my page. <laughs> okay. Introductory bits out of the way. 
my role as mediator means I'm here to help you reach an argument and a settlement that is acceptable to both parties. My only interest is to keep everyone here happy, okay? Clearly, Hansen had no had not read the room. The purpose of a meditation is essentially to avoid litigation. A court case is a lot of hassle and very expensive for all involved. So, it's always better to see if we can come to some arrangement before a lawsuit is even filed. He grinned, first to Pip's side of the room and then to Max's. A shared and equal smile. If you cannot reach an argument, Mr. Hastings, uh, Hastings and his counsels in, intend to bring a label lawsuit against Miss Fitzamobi for a tweet and a blog post shared on April 13th of this year, which they claim consists of a def- defamatory statement and, a, and audio file. Hassing glanced at his notes. Mr. Epps, on behalf of the climate, Mr. Hastings says the defamatory statement has had a very serious effect on his client, both in terms of mental well-being and irreparable reputational damage this has in turn led to financial financial hardship for which he is seeking damages pip's hands balled into fists on her lap knuckles erupting out of her skin like a prehistoric backbone she didn't know if she could sit here and listen to all this. She didn't F- know if she could do it. But she breathed and she tried for her dad and Roger and for poor Hastings over there. On the table in front of Max was his obnoxious water bottle, of course. Cloudy dark blue plastic with a Lick up rubber spout. Not the first time Pip has had seen him with it. Turns out that in that in a town as small as Fairview, running routes tend to converge, converge and intersect. She'd come to ex- expect it now. Seeing Max out on his run when she was on hers almost like he was doing it on purpose somehow and always with the effing blue bottle max saw her looking at it he reached for it clicked the bottle bottom to release the spout with a snap and took a long loud sip from it swilling it around his mouth his eyes on her the entire time. 
Hasting loosened his tie a little. So, Mr. Epps, if you would like to kick things off here with your opening statement, clearly, Epps said, shuffling his papers, his voice just as sharp as Pip remembered. My client has suffered terribly since the libless statement Miss Fitzamobi put out on the evening of April 13th, especially since Miss Fitzamobi has a significant online presence amounting to more than 300,000 followers at the time. My client has a top-tier education from a very reputable college, meaning he should be a very attractive candidate for graduate jobs. Max sucked from his water bottle again, like he was doing it to punctuate the point. However, these last few months, Mr. Hastings has struggled to find employment at the level to which he deserves. This is directly due to the reputational harm that Miss Fitzamobi liberally statement has caused. Consequently, my client still has to live at home with his parents because he cannot find an appropriate job and therefore cannot pay rent to live in New York. Oh, poor little serial rapist, Pip thought, speaking the words with her eyes. But the harm has not been my clients alone, Epps continued. His parents, Mr. and Mrs. Hastings, have also suffered from the stress and have even recently had to leave town to stay at their second home in Santa Barbara for a couple months. Their house was vandalized the very same night Ms. Fitzamobi published the defamatory statement. Someone graffitied the front of their home with the words, Rapist, I will get you. Mr. Epps, Roger interrupted, I hope you are not suggesting, suggesting that my client had anything to do with that vandalized vandalizing the police have never even spoken to her in connection with that with it not at all mr turner epps nodded back i mention it because we can surmise a casual link between miss fitzmobi's liberally statement and the vandalize vandalizing as it occurred in the hours proceeding that statement. Consequently, the Hastings, the, sorry, the Hastings family does not feel safe in their own home and have had to fit security cameras to the front of, their, of the house. I hope this goes some, goes some way in explaining not only the financial hardship Mr. Hastings has suffered, but also the extreme pain and suffering felt by him and his family in the wake of Ms. Fitzsimobi's malicious defamatory statement. Malicious, Pip said, 
heart rising to her cheeks. Oh, sorry. Heat rising to her cheeks. I called him a rapist, and he is a rapist. So, Mr. Turner, Epps barked, voice rising. I suggest you advise your client to keep quiet and remind her that any defamatory statement she makes now could be classified as slander. Hassing helped up his hands. Yes, yes, let's just everyone take a breather. Miss Fitzamobi, your side will have the chance to speak later. He loosened his tie again. It's all right, Pip. I've got this, Roger said quietly to her. I, rem- I will remind Miss Fitzamobi, Epps said. Not everyone, not even, sorry, not even looking at her. His gaze on Roger instead. That three months ago, my client faced trial in court and was found not guilty on all charges, which is all the proof you need. That the statement made on April 13 was in fact defamatory. All that being said, Roger now stepped in, shuffling his own papers, a statement can only be libulous if it is present, presented as fact. My client's tweet reads as followers, uh, sorry, as follows, Max Hastings, trial final update. I don't care what the jury believes, he is guilty. <clears throat> he clears his throat. Now, the phrase, I don't care clearly places the following statements as a subjective one in option not fact oh don't give me that epps cut in you're trying to fall back on the opinion privilege really please the statement was clearly worded as fact and the audio file presented as though it was actually real it is real pip said want to hear it Pip, please, Mr. Turner, it's clearly doctorated. Max spoke up for the first time, maddeningly calm, folding his hands in front of him. His eyes focused only on the meditator. I I don't even sound like that. What, like a rapist? Pip spat across at him. Mr. Turner, Pip. Okay, everyone, Hasing, Hasing, sorry, stood up. Let's take this down a notch. We will all get our chance to speak. Remember, we are here to make sure everyone is happy with the outcome. Mr. Epps, could you take us through the damages your client is seeking? Epps bowed his head pulling out a sheet of paper from the bottom of the pile. For special damages, considering my client should have been in employment for the last three months, at a monthly salary level, we would expect for someone in his position, this would have been at least $5,000. This placed the financial loss at $50,000. Max sucked at his water bottle again, the water sloshing around his throat. Pip could have 
liked to take that effing water bottle and smashed it into his face. If there was to, if there was to be blood on her hands, it would be his. Of course, no monetary figure can be put on the pain and mental anguish suffered by my okay, suffered by my client and his family. But we feel as a sum of eight thousand dollars should be adequate, bringing the total to twenty-three thousand dollars. Ridiculous, Roger said, shaking his head. My client is only 18 years old. Mr. Turner, you should allow me to finish, Epps sneered, licking his fingers to turn the page. However, in decision with my client, it is his opinion that his ongoing suffering in is caused by the fact that the libless statement has not been retraced and no apology Oh, sorry. Apology is issued, which would actually be of greater value to him than any monetary damages. Miss Miss Fitzamobi deleted the post weeks ago. Then you entitled letter of demand was sent," said Roger. "Mr. Turner, please," Epps, Epps replied. "If Pip had to hear him say please like that one more time." She might just smash his face in two. Oh my God. <laughs> Deleting the tweet after the fact does not mitigate the reputational harm done. So, our proposal, yeah, proposal is thus. Miss Fitzamobi releases a statement on the same public account in which she receives retraces her original defamatory statement with an admission of wrongdoing and apologizing apologizes for any her 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 words have caused my client in addition and this is the most important sticking point so do pay close attention in the statement she must fully admit that she doc- doctored the audio clip in question and the, that my client never said those words. F off Pip, Miss Fitzamobi has Hassan pleaded, struggling with his tie like it was tightened around his neck, chasing its own tail. I will ignore your client's outburst, Mr. Tanner said Emps. If those demands are met, we shall apply a discount, as it were, to the monetary damages, bringing them down to the $13,000. Okay, that's a good starting point, Hansen nodded, trying to regain control. Mr. Turner, would you like to respond to the proposal? Thank you, Miss Mr. Basher, Roger said, taking the floor. The proposed damages are still too high. You make great assumptions about your client's potential employment status. I don't see him as a partis- 
particular, sorry, particularly spectacular candidate, especially if the current jobs market. My client is just 18. Her only income is from ad revenue from her true crime podcast. And she started college. She starts college in a few weeks where she will incur large student debt in light of this. The demand is unreasonable. Okay, 10,000, Epp said, narrowing his eyes. 5,000, Roger counted, cont- countered. Epps glanced quickly at Max, who gave an even so slight nod, slouching sideways in his head. In his chair, 7,000 would be agreeable to us, Epp said, in con- con- conjecture with the rhetorician and apology. Okay, we seem to be getting somewhere. A cautious smile returned to Hans's face. Mr. Turner, Miss Fitzsimobi, could we get your thoughts on these terms? Well, Roger began, I think the no deal, Pip said, pushing her chair back from the table, the legs screaming against the polished floor. Pip, Roger turned to her before she could get to her feet. Why don't we got, don't we go discuss this somewhere? And I will not retract my statement, and I will not lie and say the audio file was doc- doctored. I called him a rapist because he is a rapist. I will be dead before I ever apologize to you. She bared her teeth at Max, the rage curling her spine, coating her skin. Mr. Turner, control your client, please. Epp slapped the table. Hassing flapped, unsure what to do. Pip stood up. Here's the thing about you suing me, Max. She spat out his name. Unable to hear it on her tongue. I have the ultimate defense, the truth. So go on, then file the lawsuit. I dare you. I'll see you in court. And you know how that's, that goes, don't you? It will have to prove whether my statement was true. Which means we get to redo your rape trail, trial. All the same witnesses, the victims' testimonies, the eve evidence, the... There won't be any criminal charges, but at least everyone will know what you are forever, rapist. Miss Fitzamobi, Pip, she planted her hands and led across the table, her eyes ablaze, barring into Max's. If only they could stare at a fire in his, burn up his face while she watched. Do you really think you can pull it off a second time? Convince another jury of 12 peers that you're not a monster? His gaze cut back into hers. You're, you've lost your mind, he sneered, maybe. So you should be terrified. Right, Hassing stood and clapped his hands. Perhaps we should have a break for some coffee and cake. I'm done, Pip said, shouldering her backpack, opening the door so hard it re re co-heated into the wall. Miss Fitzamobi, please come back. Hassing's dis
desperate voice followed her out in the corridor. Footsteps too. Pip turned. It was only Roger fumbling fumbling his papers back into his briefcase. Pip, he said breathlessly. I really think we should. I'm not ne negotiating with him. Wait a moment. Epps bark filled the corridor as he hurried over to join them. Just give me one moment. What, sorry. Just give me one minute, please, he said. Retaining his gray hair. We won't file for another month or so, okay? Avoiding a court case is really in everyone's best interest. So have a few weeks to think it over. Then things aren't so emotional. He looked down at her. I don't need to think it over, Pip said. Please, just Emps fumbled in his suit pocket, pulling out two crisp ivory-colored business cards. My card, he said, offering them to her and Roger. My cell phone number is one there. It's on there too. Have a little think, and if you change your mind, call me anytime. I won't, she said, reluctantly taking his card, stuffing it into the unused pocket of her jacket. Christopher M. studied her for a moment, eyebrows lowered in an approximately of concern. Pips her held his gaze to look away was to let him win and maybe just one word of evidence and said take it over oh sorry take it or leave it but i've seen people in a self-destructive de spiral before hell sorry hell i've i've re represented many of them <clears throat> Sorry. In the end, you'll only end up hurting everyone around you and yourself. You won't be able to help it. I urge you to turn back before you lose everything. Thank you for your unbiased advice, Mr. Epps, she said. But, okay, I just remembered I didn't have my music on. I'm sorry. But we're almost finished with the chapter. Um, okay. It appears you have understood underestimated me i would be willing to lose everything destroy myself if it also meant destroying your client that seems a fair trade now you have a good day mr epps she shot him a smile sweet and acidic as she turned on her heels yeah wait as she as she turned on her heels. Yeah, that makes sense. Sorry. She quickened her pace, the clicking of her shoes, being almost in time with her turbulent heart. And there, just beneath her heartbeat, under layers <clears throat> of muscle and sinewy, sinewy, sorry, I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right, was the sound of a gun going off six times. Okay, that was the last page of that chapter. So now we're moving on to chapter three. He caught her staring at the fall of his dark hair, at the dimpled line in his chin, 
where her little finger fit at his dark eyes and the flame dancing inside them from her mom's new autumn spice candle. His eyes were always bright, somehow dazzling, like they were lit from within. <clears throat> Ravi's sign was the opposite of dead-eyed, the antidote Pip needed to remember. Sorry. Pip needed to remind herself of that sometimes, so she watched him, took him all in, left none of him behind. Hey, Perv, Ravi grinned across the sofa. What are you staring at? Nothing, she shrugged, not looking away. What does Perv actually mean? Josh, Josh's small voice chirped up from the rug where he was assembling some unidentifiable uh, shape of shape out of Lego. Someone called me that on the Fortnite. <laughs> Is it worse than you know the F word? Pip snorted, watching Robbie's face unroll into panic. His lips pursed, eyebrows disappearing beneath his hair. She, he checked over his shoulder toward the kitchen door, where Pip's parents were clattering about cleaning up the dinner she had, she and Ravi had made. Um, no, it's not that bad, Ravi, he said as casual as he could. Maybe don't say it though, yeah. Uh, especially not in front of your mom. But what do pervs do? Josh stared up at Ravi. And for a fleeting moment, Pip wondered whether Josh knew exactly what he was doing, enjoying watching Ravi squirm on the spot. They, um, Ravi broke it off. <laughs> they watched people in a creepy way. Oh, Josh nodded, seeming to accept the explanation. Like the guy who's been watching our house? Yes, wait, no, said Ravi. There isn't a perv watching your house, he glanced toward Pip for help. Can't help you, Pip whispered back with a smirk. Dug your own grave. Thanks, Pip. Pippa's Maximus. Yeah, can we actually retire that new nickname, she said, launching a cushion at him. Naughty fan, can we go back to Sarge? Just Sarge? I like Sarge. I called her Pippo Pippo, Josh, uh, Josh again. She also hates that one. But it suits you so well, Robbie said, prodding her in the ribs with his toes. You are the maximum amount of pipness that any pip could be, the ultra pip. I'm going to introduce you to my family this week. weekend as pip. Pippa's Maximus. She rolled her eyes and jabbed him back with her toe in a place that made him squeal. Pips already, Pips already met your family loads of times. Josh looked up, confused. He seemed to be going through a new pre, pre eleven. Okay, sorry, a new pre eleven stage where he had to insert himself into every single conversation going on in the house. Even had an 
opinion on tampons yesterday. Ah, this is the extended family, Josh. Much more scary. Cousins and even, dare I say, the aunties, Robbie said dramatically, haunting the word with his waggling fingers. That's okay, Pip said. I'm well prepared. Just got to read over my spreadsheets a couple more times and I'll be fine. And also it's... Wait, Robbie startled eyebrows. Eclipsed, eclipsing his eyes. What did you just say? Did you just say spreadsheets? Y yeah, she shifted, cheeks growing warm. She hadn't intended to tell him about that. Robbie's favorite hobby in the whole world was winding her up. She didn't need to give him any more emotion. It's nothing. No, it's not. What spreadsheet? He sat up straight. If his smile were in any wider, it might actually split his face. Nothing, she crossed her arms. He darted toward sorry. He darted forward before she could defend herself. Got her right in the place she was most ticklish. Where her neck met her shoulders. Ow, stop, Pip laughed. She couldn't help it, Ravi. Stop, I have a headache. Tell me about the spreadsheet then, he said, refusing to relent. Fine, she choked breath breathlessly, and finally, Ravi stopped. It's, I've just been making a spreadsheet to keep a record of things you've told me about your family. Just little details, so I remember. And so when I meet them, they might, you know, like me. She refused to look at his face, knowing that expression would await her there. Details like what, he said, voice brimming with hardly contained amusement. Things like, uh, oh, your auntie Priya, who is your mom's younger sister? She also really likes true crime documentaries, so it would be good to talk to her about those. And your cousin Diva, Deva, I don't know, I'm so sorry, I don't think I'm pronouncing that right. Um, she's really into running and fitness, if I'm remembering right. She hugged her knees. Oh, and your auntie Zara won't like me no matter what I do. So not to get too disappointed by that. It's true, Robbie laughed. She hates everybody. I know, you said. He studied her for a lingering moment. The laugh played silently across his face. I can't believe you've been secretly taking notes. And in one fluid moment, Robbie stood up, scooping his arms under her and lifted her up. He swung her around while she protested, saying, Under that big, tough exterior, we've got ourselves a cute little weirdo over here. <laughs> so cute. Wow. so cute, Josh. Josh's necessarily interrupt. Wow. Ravi let her go, delivering her back to the sofa. 
Right, he said, with an upward stretch. I should head off. Not everyone has to get up at disgust get up at disgusting o'clock tomorrow morning for their internship at a law firm. But my girlfriend's probably going to need a good lawyer one day, so he winked at her. The very same thing he'd said after she told him how the meditation went. It was his third week at the summer internship, and Pip could already tell he loved it, despite his protestation about the early wake-up for his first day. She'd she'd given him a t-shirt that said, Lawyer Loading. Right, goodbye, Joshua, he said, nudging him with his foot. My favorite human being. Really? Josh beamed up at him. What's Pip then? Ah, she's a close second, Robbie said, returning to her. He kissed her on the forehead, his breath in her hair, and when Josh wasn't looking, moved down to press his lips against her. (laughs) So cute. I heard that, Josh said anyway. I'll just go say goodbye to your mom and dad, Robbie said. But then he paused and pivoted, came back to whisper in his, in Pip's ear, and let your mother know that, unfortunately, you are the per- the reason your 10-year-old brother now thinks a pervert is watching your house. Nothing to do with me. <laughs> Pip squeezed Robbie's elbow, one of their secret, I love you. I love your use oh my god. I love yours laughing to herself as she walked away. She the smile stayed a little longer this time and after Ravi was gone. It did, but when Pip walked upstairs standing alone in her bedroom, she realized it had already left her without saying its goodbyes. She never knew how to bring it back. The headache was starting to pinch at her uh, at her temples now, at her eyes focused behind the window, at the thickening darkness outside, the clouds amassing into one dark, lurking shape. Night, nighttime. Pip checked the time on her phone. It had just passed nine. Wouldn't be long now until everyone was in bed, lost to sleep. Everyone but her. The long pair of eyes in a sleeping town, begging the night to pass on by. She promised herself, no more. Last time was the last time, she repeated it in her head like a mantra. But even as she tried to tell herself that now, even as she balled her fists, she promised herself no more. Last time was the last time. Wait, I think I already did that. I don't know where, okay, but, sorry, (laughs) but even as she tried to tell herself that now, even as she balled her fist against her temples to out-hurt the pain, she knew it was hopeless, that she would lose, she always lost, and she was tired, so tired of fighting it. Pip crossed to her door and gently closed it, in case anyone walked by, her family could never know, 
and not Robbie. Especially Ro not Robbie. Ooh, what's she gonna do? At her desk, she placed her iPhone between her notebook and her bulky black headphones. She opened the drawer, the second one, down on the right, and began to pull out the contents. Huh? Contents. The pot of pins, her rewound red string, and an old pair of white earphones, a glue stick. She removed the pad of lined paper and reached the bottom of the drawer, the false bottom she made out of white cardboard. She dug her fingers, fingertips in, and in at one side and pried it up. There, hid below, were the burner phones. <gasps> Ooh, all six of them arranged in a neat line. Six repaired phones bought with cash, each from a different store. A cap pulled lower even, sorry, pulled lower over Pip's face as she, she handed over the money. Hmm? The phone stared blankly up at her just one more time and then she was done. She promised. Pip reached in and took out the one on the left. An old gray Nokia, she held the power button down to turn it on, her fingers shaking with the pressure. There was a familiar sound hiding in the beat of her heart. The phone lit up with a greenish black light, welcoming her back in the simple back. In the simple menu, Pip clicked onto her messages to the one the only wait to the only contact saved in this phone. In any of them, her thumbs worked against the buttons, clicking number one three times to get to see. Can I come over now? She wrote. Ooh, ooh, what is going on? She wrote. She pressed send with one last promise to herself. This was the very last time. She waited, watching the empty screen below her message. She wild the response to appear, concentrated, concentrated only on that, not on the growing sound inside her chest. But now that she thought about it, she couldn't unthink, think it, couldn't unhear it. She held her breath and willed even harder. It worked. Yes, he replied. Okay, that was the last page of chapter three. So now we are on chapter four. Sorry if it like the music doesn't match up. I don't know. Hopefully it does. But this is chapter four. It was a race between her taking heart and the pounding of her sneakers on the sidewalk. Her body alive with sound from her chest to her feet dulled only by the noise cancellation of her f headphones but pip couldn't lie to herself that one was caused by the other she'd been running for only four minutes and already she was there sorry she was here turning onto beacon clothes the heart had preceded the feet she told her parents she was going on a quick run as she always did 
dressed in her navy leggings and a white sports top. So at least running here left her with a shred of honesty. Shreds and scraps were all she could hope for. Sometimes running, running itself was enough, but not tonight. Tonight, no wait, 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 wait. but not tonight. No, tonight there was only one thing that could help her. Pip slowed as she approached number 13, lowering her headphones to crack her neck. She planted her heels and stood still for a moment, checking whether she really needed to do this. If she took one more step, there was no going back. She walked up to the up the drive to the terraced house past the gleaming white BMW parked at the angle. At the dark red door, Pip's fingers passed over the doorbell, balling into a fist to knock on the window. The doorbell wasn't allowed. It made too much noise and the neighbors might notice. Pip knocked again until she could see his outline in the frosted glass growing taller and taller. The sound of the sliding bolt and then... The door opened inward. Luke Eaton's face in the crack. In the darkness, the tattoos climbing up his neck and the side of his face looked like skin. His skin had come apart. Strips of flesh rebuilding to form a net. He pulled the door just wide enough for her to fit through. Come on, quickly, he said, gruffling, turning to walk down the hall. Got someone coming over soon. Pip closed the front door behind her and allowed Luke around the bend into the small square kitchen. Luke was wearing the exact same pair of dark back basketball shorts he'd been wearing the first time Pip met him. When he'd come here to talk to Nat De Silva about the missing Jamie Reynolds, Thank God Nat had gotten away from Luke. The house was empty now, just the two of them. Luke bent down to open one of the kitchen cabinets. Though, you said, the last time was it that you wouldn't be back again? I did say that, didn't I? Pip replied, flattering, picking at her fingernails. I just need to sleep, that's all. <gasps> oh my God. She's taking drugs. <gasps> Oh my God. Luke rustled around in the cup, cupboard, coming back up with a paper bag. <gasps> She's taking drugs. Clenched in his first. He opened the top and held it out so Pip could see inside. There are two milligram pills this time. <gasps> oh my God. Luke said, shaking the bag. That's why there aren't as many. <gasps> oh my God. Yeah, that's fine, Pip said, glancing up at Luke. She wished she hadn't. Oh my God. She always found herself studying the geograph graph of his face. Oh my God. Searching for the way he was similar to Stanley Forbes. Both of them had been Charlie Green's final suspects for the child Burnswick. Narrowed down from all the men in Fairview. But Luke had been ro a wrong turn. 
the wrong man, and luckily for him, because he was still alive, Pip had never seen his blood, never worn it, worn it the way she'd worn Stanley's. It was on her hands now, the feeling of cracking ribs below the pads of her fingers, dripping onto the lilum floor. Sorry. Um, no, it was just sweat, just a tremor in her hands. Oh my god. Pip gave her hands something to do to distract them. She reached into the waistband of her leggings and pulled out the cash, flicking through the notes in front of Luke until he nodded. She passed the money over and then held out her other hand. The paper bag went into it, crickling under her grip. Luke nodded again, but then he stalled a new look in his eyes. One that seemed dangerously close to pity. You know, he said, doubling back to the cupboard. Wait, sorry. <clears throat> Returning with this small clear baggie. If you're struggling, I have something stronger than Xanax. Zan yeah, Xanax. Will completely knock you out. He, he held up the baggie and shook it. It was filled with oblong tablets of a light mossy green blue hue. Pip stared at them. Pip, Pip held, oh my god, I'm sorry. Bit her lip. I don't know why I said, anyways. Stronger, she asked? Definitely. What is it? She asked, her eyes transfixed. Fixed this. Luke gave it another shake. It was Raffinil. I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right. But I think it is Raffinil or something like that. Stuff puts you right out. Pip's gut tightened. No thanks. She dropped her eyes. I've had experience, but which, which she meant. She had it pumped out of her stomach when Becca Bell had slipped it into her drink nine months ago. Pills that Becca's sister, Andy, had been selling to Max Hastings before she died. Suit yourself, he said, pocketing the small bag. Offers there if you want it. More expensive, though, obviously. Obviously, she par parroted him, her, mi her mind elsewhere. She turned to the door to see herself out. Luke Anton didn't do goodbyes or hellos for that matter. Maybe she could turn back though. Maybe she should tell him that actually this was the last time and he'd never see her again. How else would she stick to it? But then her mind came back to her with a new thought and she followed it, spinning on her heels to return to the kitchen and something else came out of her mouth instead. Oh, me God. Oh my God, she better not. Luke, she said, <sighs> sharper than she'd meant. Those pills, the Rufinil, are you selling them to someone in town? Does someone here buy them from you? He blinked at her. Is it Max Hastings? Does he buy those from you? He's tall, longish, blonde hair, well-spoken. Is it him? Is he the one buying those pills from you? He didn't answer. Is it Max? Pip said, the urgency cracking her voice. Luke's eyes hardened, the pity, a thing of the past. You know the rules by now. 
I don't answer questions. I don't ask them. And I don't answer them. There was the slightest smirk on his face. Rules apply to you too. I know you think you're special, but you're not. See you next time. Pip crushed the bag in her hand as she walked out of the house. She thought to slam the door behind her and flash a rage behind her skin, but then thought better of it. Her heart beat even faster now, battering against her chest, filling her head with the sound of cracking ribs and those dead eyes. They were hiding just over there in the shadows from the street lamps. If Pip blinked, they'd be waiting for her in the darkness there too. Was Max the one buying those pills from Luke? He used to buy them from Andy Bell, who got them from Howie Bowers. But Luke had always been... Wait, sorry. Yeah, Luke had always been the one supplying Howie. And he was all... And he was all the that was left. The two lower links in the chain now gone. If... Okay, sorry, I lost my place. If Max was still buying, it would have been... Have to be from Luke. That made the most sense. Where he and Pip almost crossing paths at Luke's front door like they did on their runs. Was he still sleep slipping pills into the drinks of women? Okay. Was he still ru ruining lives? Like he had done to Nat De Silva and Becca Bell? The thought had made her stomach churn and oh my and oh god she was going to be sick right here in the middle of the road she doubled over and tried to breathe the, through it the bag rattled rattling in her her shaking hands it couldn't it couldn't wait any longer she stumbled to the other side of the road under the covering of the trees, she reached inside the paper bag for one of the see-through baggies, struggling to unfasten it because her fingers were coated in blood. Sweat, just sweat. She pulled out one of the long white pills, different from the kind she'd taken before, scrolled in to one side where, she, where three lines and the words Xanax and on the other a two. At least it wasn't fake then or cut with anything else. A dark barked from somewhere close by. Hurry up, Pip snapped the pill along the center line and pushed the half through her lips. Her mouth had already filled with saliva and she swallowed it dry. She tucked the bag under her arm just as a dog walker and small white terrier came around the corner. It was Gail Yardley who lived down her road. Ah, Pip, she said, her shoulders relaxed. You surprised me. She looked her up and down. I swear I just saw you outside your house, coming back from one of your runs. Mine played tricks on me, I guess. Happens to the best of us, Pip said, rearranging her face. Yes, well, Gail laughed awkwardly through her nose. I wouldn't keep you. She walked away. The dog stopped. Stopping to sniff Pip's sneakers before the leash grew taut and it shifted off after her. Pip rounded the same corner Gail had come from. Her throat sore from her, from where the pill had snatched on it, on its way down. 
And now the other feeling guilt. She couldn't believe she'd done this again. Last time, she told herself as she walked toward home. Last time, and then you're done. At least she'd get some sleep tonight. It should come on soon. Then unnatural calmness like a warm shield across her thinning skin. And the relief when the muscles in her jaw finally unclenched. Yes, she would sleep tonight. She had to. The doctor had put her on a course of villain, Valium. Sorry. Back after it first happened, the first time she saw death and held it in her hands. But it wasn't long before she took her off. Sorry, he took her off. Even when she begged him, she couldn't recite what he said word for word. You need to come up with your own strategies to cope with the trauma and stress. This medication will only make it harder to recover from the PTSD in the long term. You don't need it, Pippa. You can do it. You can do this. How wrong he'd, he'd been. She did need the pills. Needed them as much as she needed sleep. This was her strategy, and at the same time, she knew. She knew he was right, and she was making everything worse. The wor the most effective treatment is talk, is talk therapy. So we're going to continue your weekly session. She tried, she really had, and after seven sessions, she told everyone she was feeling much better, really. She was fine. Uh, a lie. Practi practiced well enough now that people believed her, even Ravi. She thought if she had to go to one more session, she might just die. How could she talk about it? It was an impossible, impossible thing that escaped language or sense. On one hand, she could tell you from the very bottom of her heart that she didn't believe Stanley Forbes had deserved to die, that he deserved life, and she had done all she could do. Wait, all she could to bring him back. It wasn't unforgivable, but she'd done as a child. Wait, what he'd done as a child. Why do I keep mixing, mixing that up? Sorry. What he'd been made to do. She was learning. Oh my God, I did it again. He was learning. Trying every day to be a better man. Pip believed this with every part of her being. That a, that and the terrible guilt that she'd been the, the one to lead his killer to him. Lear, luring Stanley out to that abandoned farmhouse after learning he was child burns wait yet at the same time she believed in the very opposite thing and this one came from somewhere even deeper her soul maybe did i say babe no maybe i don't know if that sounded wrong um maybe if she believed in those sort of things though he had been a child Stanley was the reason Charlie Green's sister had been murdered. Pip had asked herself, 
If someone picked out her little brother and delivered him to a killer to die the most horrific death imaginable, would she spend two decades chasing justice, hurting them down to kill them? The answer was yes. She knew she would, without hesitation. She would kill the person who took Josh away, no matter how long it took. Charlie had been right. They were the same. There was an understanding between them. This with sameness that why she couldn't talk about it. Not to a professional, not to anyone, but it was impossible, incompatible. It had torn her it too, into and there was no way to stitch those parts back together. It was untenable beyond sense no one could understand except maybe him she hesitated at her driveway looking to the house she'd be beyond it wait sorry i lost my place sorry looking to the house just behind it charlie green that's why she needed him to be found not caught He'd helped her once before, opened her eyes about right and wrong, and who decided that those words meant maybe, maybe. If she could talk to him, he'd understand. He was the only one who could. He must have found a way to live with that. Wait. A way to live with what he'd done, and maybe he could show Pip how to live with it, too. Show her a way to fix everything, how to put herself back together again. But Pip was of two minds about this as well. It made her sense. It made perfect sense, and it made none. It rustled in the trees across the road from her house. Pip's breath caught in her throat, and she whipped around and stared, trying to shape the darkness in into a person the wind into a voice was there someone there hiding in the trees watching her following her tree trunks or legs charlie was it him her strained she strained her oh my god she strained her eyes trying to draw out individual leaves and their skeletal branches no there couldn't be anyone there don't be stupid. It was just another of those things that lived in our head now. Scared of everything. Angry at everything. It wasn't real. And she needed to learn the difference again. Sweat on her hands. Not blood. She walked up to her house, glancing back only once. The pill will take it away soon. She told herself, along with everything else. Corner... Wait, corner, corner, dot, I think this says corner, corner, dot com. Home, real crime, crime scene, investigation, estimating time of death. How to do pathologistic determine time of death in a homicide case. I think I pronounced that wrong but correct me if I'm wrong. <laughs> the most important thing 
to know is that time of death can only ever be an estimate range. A pathologistic cannot give a specific time of death. As we sometimes see in, in movies and TV shows, there are three main mortis factors used to determine the estimate time of death. And some of these tests are performed at the crime scene itself. As soon as possible after the victim is found, as a general rule, the sooner a victim is found post-mortem, the more accurate the time of death estimate. Number one, rigor mortis. Immediately after death, all the muscles in the body relax. Then typically around two hours post-mortem, the body starts to stiffen due to a buildup of acid in the muscle tissues. This is rigor mortis. It begins in the muscle in the jaw and neck, proceeding downward Wait, I think I said that. Proceeding downward to the body and extremitious rigor mortis is normally complete within 6 to 12 hours and then starts to disappear approximately 5 to 36 hours after death. As this stiffening... Okay. As this stiffening process has a roughly known time of occurrence, it can be very useful in estimating time of death. However, there are a few factors that can impact the onset and timeline of rigor, such as temperature. Warm temperatures will increase the rate of rigor. Where is... Where... Yes, cold temperatures will slow it down. Sorry, I think I'm so <clears throat> Okay, number two, liver mortis, also known as the livid, lividity, lividity. My God, I'm sorry, lividity. Live. I think that's pronounced right. I'm pretty sure it's wrong. <laughs> Livor mortis is the settling of the blood inside the body. Due to gravity and the loss of blood pressure, the skin will become discolored with a red-purple tinge whether the blood has pulled internally. Yeah, internally, liver mortis starts to develop two to four hours after death. Becomes non-fixed up to eight to... I lost my place again. Okay, 8 to 11 hours after death. And fixed after 8 to 12 hours from the time of death. Non-fixed refers to whether the skin is blanchable. This means that when lividity... I think I said that right. Is present if the skin is... Wait, what? Present if the skin is present, the color will disappear a bit like when you press your own skin now. But this process can be affected by factors such as temperature and change and changing body posture. 
Algor Mortis. Algor Mortis. That's number three. Sorry. <laughs> number three, Algor Mortis. Algor Mortis refers to the temperature of a body. After death, the body starts to cool until it reaches equilibrium with the um, ambient temperature wherever the body is discovered. Typically, the body will lose about 1.5 Fahrenheit per hour until it reaches the enviro, enviro, environmental temperature at the crime scene. In, in addition to making observations about the rate of rigor and levity, a medical exam examiner will also likely take the body internal temperature and that of the environment in order to calculate approximately when the victim was killed. Although this process cannot tell us the exact minute and person died, they, they are the main factors and Factors a pathologics used uses when estimating a range for the time of death. So this is a, the end of the chapter. I will be ending there and tune in tomorrow for more chapters. So the again that was chapter four.